Welcome back to the Powell View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at Powell View Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. I'm looking at my window today, and it's just a gorgeous day. It's in June. Uh, I think spring has finally hit. It's some great uh, rain recently, <clears throat> but man, blue sky. I have a great view of Smith Rock, uh, which is a kind of a national landmark, um, at least for people who love rock climbing. I can see that outside my window. Just great beauty here. It's uh, great that you've joined us. Uh, we are going through a study in the Gospel of Luke, and we are now in Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles there as you're listening, you may want to grab that. If you're listening in the car, then please don't grab your Bibles. That would not be good. Just have to listen as I read along. Yeah, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm now 54. I'm finding that it's uh, getting harder and harder to hear things correctly. Uh, a long time ago, I heard the joke about three ladies waiting for a bus out in the city streets, and one of the old ladies—they're they're old, old ladies—and one of them said, "Windy, isn't it?" And the second lady said, "No, it's Thursday." And then the third one said, well, me too. Let's go get something to drink. There, there's a lot of a lot of people who they, their hearing starts to go. And, and it's, you know, no wonder in our world today, there's just a lot of noise that goes on around us. So it's hard to hear. It's, it's hard to hear correctly, at least in my world it is. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus focuses a lot on hearing the condition of our ears. In the book of Revelation, for example, Jesus uh, is sending these various messages to the seven churches, and he would end the messages with, he who has ears to hear, or he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Well, now, what does that mean? Because most people have ears, right? There's only one guy in Scripture that we know of that was earless, and that was just for a very momentary uh, event. Malchus, who was the servant of the chief priest there in the Garden of Gethsemane, they came to arrest Jesus, and Peter grabbed his sword and tried to attack. And, and Jesus said, hey, Peter, put, put away your sword, uh, because Peter cut off the ear of this guy, Malchus, right? Um, and then he healed Marcus, Malchus's ear. So that's the only guy that didn't have an ear, and that was just for a brief time. So Jesus is uh, obviously talking to people who have physical ears. That's obviously not what he means, Right. What does he mean then? Well, it's it's the difference between hearing something and hearing, perceiving, understanding something. Growing up, I was always accused of my mother about having selective hearing, like um, like the Far Side had a cartoon one time. It's what we say to dogs, and it's a guy looking at his dog and saying, "Good girl, Ginger. You're you're a good girl, Ginger. We're going to go on a walk, Ginger." And, would you like a treat, Ginger, whatever it was? And then the second panel was, and what do dogs hear? Blah, 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 Ginger, blah, 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 Ginger. See, they know their name. Blah, blah, everything else is just blah, 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 Ginger, blah, 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 Ginger. Selective hearing, you know. I never had a problem, by the way, with my dad on that. He would say something, and boy, I'd hear it. He'd say, do you understand? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And I would answer, you're coming in loud and clear, Right? And that's really what Jesus is talking about, is can we hear his message loud and clear? You know, today we're going to be looking at one of Jesus' most famous parables. 
And he says at the end of it, if you have an ear to hear, let him hear. In other words, Jesus is saying, I, I care about the condition of your hearing, right? I, I want you to really hear what I am saying in this parable. Now, what is a parable? Well, um, a parable is basically a, a short story that somebody would use when they are teaching to illustrate a principle. Um, when I was a teenager, I had the privilege, privilege of helping out in our children's church area. And sometimes the lesson that we would bring to the kids uh, was on a film strip um, uh, with a little uh, tape player. So you'd put the tape in and a narrator would tell the story and the kids would see these little slides from the projector. And um, they were parables from nature were, were a lot of them. Parables of nature. And I, I will always remember this. Uh, the lady would come on and say, a parable? What is it? Well, it's a little story with a lot of truth in it, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, so Jesus, that's exactly what a parable is. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus would often use these parables uh, to explain spiritual truths. Um, and because he was such a great teacher, Jesus would actually use uh, illustrations, parables that incorporated things that would make sense to his audience, right? Um, typically, the, the parables are about things that were familiar to the first century Jews living in the Middle East. Um, theirs was an agrarian culture, and so they depended upon agriculture. So Jesus would talk about trees a lot, or fields, or vineyards, things like that, things that people would know. So today, we're going to be looking at one of the most famous parables, and it's called the parable of the sower. Probably more accurately would be called the parable of the soil, really. Um, not just not, Because it's more about the condition of the soil and how people are receiving the seed that the sower is putting out there. Now, I'm not a sower. I'm not a gardener. I'm not a planter. Uh, so for me, this kind of misses but I can see the principles of what Jesus is trying to tell us. So today, we, even though you might have heard this in Sunday school or in another sermon, today I, I want to maybe give you a, a bit of a challenge in looking at it with a fresh perspective today. Now, there's an interesting connection that I see that I've really never seen before until my study this week. Um, and it comes from something that Jesus says after the parable. You know, for, for Jesus, you know, all of these things he would say one right after the other. So, uh, you know, if you catch the context, there's something very interesting that he says in verses uh, 16 through 18 in chapter 8. Uh, he says, no one, after lighting a lamp, will cover it with a jar and put it under a bed. Uh, no, you put it on a stand so that those who enter may see light. Verse 17, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest or be brought out into the open nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to the light. And then verse 18 says, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, obviously, uh, we've heard these words before in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a parallel to what he talked about being light in this world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And, and Jesus is talking about lighting a lamp and hiding that lamp. He says, you don't do that. You, you put it out so people can see it, right? 
Um, and then, then he says in verse 18, take care how you hear. Or, therefore, be careful how you listen. So in, in Jesus' mind, he's connecting the parable that we're going to be looking at in just a moment here. He's connecting that. And he's connecting the teaching about light not being hidden. And he's connecting those things to hearing carefully. Hearing carefully. A lot of times the sermons I've heard on the parable of the sower is all about the condition of one's heart. Well, I think we can actually look at it as if you take the T off of that word heart, I think Jesus is kind of saying it's actually a condition about how you hear. It's about how you hear. So let's go back and read the parable as Luke records it there in chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And this is the condensed version. I, I like this version. Matthew and Mark both also have this teaching, this parable. Uh, they expand it a little bit more. But this is kind of the streamlined version. I, I like it. Jesus says this in verse 4. Uh, or Luke records this in verse 4. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, Jesus said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And then some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, there it is again, let him hear. So it's a far, it's, there's a farmer, right? And he's scattering seed, and the seed lands on four different kinds of ground. And it, the, the seed is accepted, um, and, and it is um, accepted based on the quality of the soil. Now, what's cool is that Jesus will tell lots of parables. There are a lot of them that, uh, that are included in the book of Luke that we will be looking at. But he only ever explains two of them. This is one of those that he actually explains to us and tells us what the point is. So if you continue on in chapter 9, I mean chapter 8, sorry, verse 9, uh, this is what he says. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. For others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may, may not understand. That, by the way, is a is a prediction, a prophecy of Isaiah uh, that said, you know what, there are some people that will just not be able to hear what God has to say. Anyway, then Jesus said, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And then the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. <laughs> as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So yes, there's the idea of heart there, but in all of those instances, of all of those soils, all of those types of ground, it is those who hear. Those who hear, right? 
So there are four kinds of cures out there. It, it's, it's the same seed. It's the same sower, right? It's just that the reception is, is dependent upon how people hear what God is giving to us because the seed is his word. Some of us, when we hear it, our hearing is like that hardened path. We're not receptive. We, we don't allow it to penetrate our hearts. Others, when we hear, that's kind of like the rock, the, the rocky soil, uh, the gravelly soil where it may penetrate, but it, and it may even make an Im impact in our life at first, but there's really never really any strong root that takes hold. And then um, when life gets hard, when discipleship gets hard, uh, that no longer takes priority for it because it was just a fad. For, for some people, when they hear that's like the thorny patch, uh, way too many things growing around them competing uh, for their attention, competing for their priority. Way, way too many shiny things to give allegiance to, right? And then there are those who, when they hear, they are prepared to receive. Now, if the ratio of the parable is significant, this will tell us that about three-quarters of the world is not listening to God's voice, whether it's because of hardened hearts or shallow lives or anxious minds. 75% of people are missing the message. It's all to do with how they are hearing, right? So let's look at these four ways of hearing. First of all, uh, the, the seed that falls on the hardened path, well, that's, that represents the unhearing hearer or the deaf hearer. The one who really doesn't hear, right? And, and the reason he doesn't understand God's word, it's not because the message is defective. It's, it's that he just can't hear what is being said. And oftentimes that's because he doesn't want to hear what's being said. He, he doesn't care about the things of God. He's indifferent or antagonistic even to spiritual things. If we would go back to the concept we looked at in chapter 7 last week, um, you could say that these are the people that are not broken. They have no brokenness. That The soil of their heart is so hard, it's like hard pan, that you, it's so hard to break that up. And so if you put seed on that, it cannot penetrate. These are the people who don't want there to be a God. They don't want there to be a higher authority in their life. They don't want there to be any kind of idea of a divine purpose for them. And so they reject the Bible because they've re rejected God. Now, by the way, we might look at these people. This is kind of a side sermon here. We may look at these kind of people as our enemy because they're antagonistic towards our faith. They come at us. And, and so we love to fight them. We love to argue with them and, and debate them. And, and we see them as the enemy. But if you caught there in verse 12, Jesus actually says that they're not the enemy. He actually gives credit to the devil in this process. He says it's the devil that comes along and takes away that seed, right? Now, it, it may be their fault that their heart is uh, their heart is hard, and um, and it's it's like hard pan and it won't be broken, uh, because I believe that we do have to be involved in the processes of being broken. But they're not the enemy. They're like the the prisoners of war of the enemy. And the enemy is just using them, but it's really a work of the devil that they are unhearing hearers. Secondly, you have the shallow hearers, those who are shallow in their hearing. You know, if a plant doesn't have a root system, it's not going to last very long. 
because the, the root system is its support. That's how the plant nourishes itself and grows, right? The other day, I, I went out to contemplate all the weeds that had grown on the uh, north uh, side of my house. And, and these were huge plants. And I kind of sighed. I did not relish the idea of having to engage in the battle of trying to get rid of those uh, horrible pests in my side yard. But, uh, you know, I reached down and grabbed the first one and pulled, and I was actually shocked how easy it came out. So then I tried the second one and the third one, and, and they were all so easy to pull out. Why? Because the north side of my house, that's, that's full of gravel. It was full of gravel. So these weeds were growing, but they had no root system at all. So it was no problem to pull these guys up. They, they had roots, definitely. And they were big roots, but those roots could not hold on to anything solid, so they were easy for me to destroy. Recently, I heard a sermon by one of the Calvary Chapel guys, a guy named Skip Heitzig. He's down there in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Great, great preacher, by the way. Great teacher. Love listening to him. He, he definitely um, helps me out in my understanding of Scripture many times. Anyways, he was talking about ways to grow a church. And he says some people grow a church through strategy. You know, they find out uh, who's what the makeup of the, the neighborhood is and uh, what their target audience is going to be. And they, they have this strategy, right? Um, then, he, then he says some churches grow by sensationalism. Sensationalism is like when, when there's a big event that churches rely on or, or a big band or a big speaker or, or a big healing service or whatnot. And it's, it's all the rage. It's like the circus has come to town and people come in droves and, and, and there's this huge spike in attendance and it's real fun and exciting and, and, and there's this passion going on. He says, but if that's how you're going to grow your church, the problem is, is that next week you're going to have to do more to get the same results due to the law of diminishing returns. Because, yeah, you might get a huge crowd that first weekend. And, and maybe even that second big thing that you do, sensational thing that you do. But over time, you have to come up with more things, more bigger things, more clever things, and all that kind of stuff in order to maintain that enthusiasm and, and people coming in. Now, he, he didn't say this, but I've also, in that same in that same vein, I have observed that if you're going to build a church on sensationalism, um, as soon as you don't have something, the, the people who came, they, they were just coming to see the church burn. And if it wasn't going to burn anymore, they're, they're going to go home, right? Anyways, there have been people who have tried to build their faith on sensationalism. The, those highs, those spiritual highs, they went to camp. And there was a great speaker and it tugged on their heart and, and they had this feeling of inspiration or conviction, right? And, and with brokenness and with tears, they, they headed down to the altar call and there was this emotion and, and they, they knew that they were sinning and they didn't want to do that. They wanted to change. But then they left that camp or that service and that the desire to change really never grew very deep. And so after the emotions pass, the change isn't really there. Uh, you, you, the feelings were tapped into, but not your heart. And this, again, is a hearing problem because what you heard was not the true gospel because the true gospel changes people. Yes, it saves them, but it changes them as well. They, they may have heard just the hype, the, the cool stuff, the, the, the promises the, uh, of a spiritual high, right? 
But when it came down to the heart of the message, they didn't understand that there's discipleship that comes along with being a disciple. It's not always going to be amazing sermons that tug at your heart. There's going to be times where it's much rougher, when the battle is hard and it's not touchy-feely at all. Thirdly, we see the distracted hearer. Oh, this was me growing up, by the way. This is what my mom was so frustrated about. I, I loved TV. I was addicted to TV. And one day, I think I was probably eighth grade. I don't know. We, we I guess, we had plans to go to a friend's house, lived a couple miles away for New Year's Eve celebration. Well, I was watching TV, and I think I heard my mom say something like, hey, Trey, we're leaving in an hour. And then I think I might have heard her say something like, Trey, we're leaving in 20 minutes. And then I don't know if I heard her say, hey, Trey, we're leaving in 10 minutes. I know I didn't hear her say, hey, Trey, we're, we're leaving right now. My mom was so frustrated at me not hearing her. I was distracted because I was watching TV. That mom finally just said, you know what, forget that. And they just, the rest of the family got into the car and they went to the, to the, to the party, leaving me there in front of the TV. Not, I mean, I was so distracted. I didn't even know that they had left until I got a phone call about an hour later. I go, oh, did you guys leave? And she goes, yeah, like an hour ago. I said, well, are you going to come pick me up? She goes, no, I told you we were leaving and you, uh, you were distracted. You didn't hear me. So therefore you're going to stay there at home this New Year's Eve while we're out here at the party. I learned my lesson. Distracted hearing is not fun at all. You know, there, there's a young man that we uh, read of uh, later on in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18. And, and I love how we can actually uh, cover uh, the Gospel of Luke uh, a little bit faster by putting two or three stories together. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Um, but in Luke 18, verses 18 through 30, there's a, a story of a young man that comes to Jesus and asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus basically says, well, what, is, what, what do the scriptures say? And so the, the guy explained, and he says, okay, that's, that's right. If you follow the Old Testament law, you can in, inherit eternal life. Um, and he, you know that Jesus is probably thinking, and good luck with that, by the way, because nobody can. Um, the, the young man says, well, actually, you know, I, I've been able to, to follow the commands since I was a little boy. And Jesus then said to him, okay, now why don't you now sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come and follow me? Well, Luke tells us that the man, after considering this, walked away sad, very sad, because, Luke tells us, because he was a man of great wealth. Now, then Jesus turns right around and uses that encounter to teach his disciples about distractions, things that will keep us from following him closely, things that actually uh, will tap more into the message of the earth's kingdom rather than God's upside down kingdom. Because in this world, there will always be things that will serve to distract us from hearing what God really wants to say to us. There's always going to be an opportunity for a better job or a better car or a better house or a better spouse. All these shiny things, new things that we can have. Even well-intentioned believers who, who want to live upright, moral, righteous lives, they often find themselves struggling because all of these things are competing for their allegiance and their attention. And, uh, and and they get choked out. Now, nobody volunteers to get choked. Nobody says, you know what? Will you please come and choke me today? 
but I guarantee you that if you're out at a restaurant and you have put way too much stuff into your mouth and you're trying to swallow way too much, you, you are running the risk of being choked if you're not careful, right? Now, Jesus does not tell everybody that they have to, if they're going to follow him, that they have to sell everything that they have and give to the poor. He tells this guy that because he knows that this is the thing that's going to choke the man. And so he wants to see, are you willing to give that up in order to follow me? In fact, this is the only person in the Gospels that Jesus tells that to. But the message, the principle, is actually true for all of us. Things can get in the way, and we have to make those choices. Jesus said, man, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he didn't say it's impossible, but he did say it's hard. But I would say it's also hard for somebody to enter into the kingdom of God who has chosen to be unequally yoked with a non-believer either in marriage or in like a business partnership. See, when push comes to shove and you're faced with a choice between your allegiance to your spouse or your business partner and your allegiance to God, boy, you have put yourself between a rock and a hard place, haven't you? On one side, you got your spouse, your business partner, you would love to be loyal to. On the other side, you've got God's holy law, his word, what he wants you to do. Man, why would you put yourself into that situation? Man, choices like that are excruciating. See, the rich young man could not make the, the better choice, the more eternal choice. So he walks away very sad. He was a distracted hearer. Finally, we, we have a receptive hearer. Now, I'm going to show you something that uh, you, you might have said, well, why, why did we just skip over the first three verses of chapter 8? Um, a lot of times people do because it doesn't seem like that. It really fits in with what we're talking about, but it does, it does. And I get really excited about this. Let me read this to you. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12, his 12 disciples were with him. And also with him, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. There's Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the life of Husa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, women, who provided for them, Jesus and the Twelve, out of their means. Now, I, I want you for a moment to think about the gravity, the impact that Jesus made on his culture in that first century Jewish world. When last week we saw Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house, which would have been absolutely perfectly okay for a rabbi to do that, to go to a religious man's house, an important religious man's house. But a woman comes in, right? A, a sinful woman comes in. And, and, and she broke the alabaster jar, poured perfume on Jesus's feet, kissed the feet of the forgiver, right? Showing love at a cost that nobody really could understand. And, and, and we talked about how impactful that would have been for a sinner to have been accepted by Jesus. But I did not tell you this, was that there was another obstacle standing in this woman's way. It wasn't just her sin. It was also the fact that she was a woman. Because in those days, in fact, up until that day, in almost every culture in the pagan world leading up to the time of Jesus, women were not valued. They, they, were, they were seen basically as property. 
they, they had no say as to who they were going to marry. They were seen as second-class citizens at best. They owned no property. They were subject to no extensive education. They were married off as soon as they began to menstruate. They spent most of their fertile lives then working the land and having babies for their husbands. Okay? So not only was it a big deal that a sinful person came to Jesus and he accepted him, but it, the fact that it was a woman that came to Jesus and he accepted her. Folks, you need to understand the impact that that would have made in that culture of that day. When he accepts her worship, word gets around, and all of a sudden the women who had been uh, subjugated and, and told that they did not matter, that they were not valued, all of a sudden they heard about a man, a religious man, a rabbi, who actually didn't just tolerate them, but accepted them. What kind of impact? Well, immediately we read in Luke's account that there now are ladies who have wanted to follow Jesus. They had fi finally found somebody in Jesus that they knew that they would be seen as, as someone who has value, that they were made in Jesus in God's image as well. Finally, here's a guy who's standing up for them, whose plan includes them, who dares to defy this patriarchal system in which they had been so oppressed for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. What freedom to find in this new rabbi. Folks, that's why they were so receptive. They understood. You, you see, it frustrates me that in our modern world, Christianity gets a bad rap when it comes to women's issues. That's so unfair. Because if you study your history, you'll, you'll see that it was Christianity that finally broke that glass ceiling, if you will. It finally brought equality to the sexes. It, that was an equality that was not existent in that part of the world for eons. And what's more, when, when the gospel then went into the, the Gentile world, when they went over to the West and they said that there is now no male or female, no slave or free, no Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter who you are. You have value in Jesus's sight. Man, that faith, the faith of Christianity, spread like wildfire due to prominent women in the Greek society in the West who found empowerment in this new faith. Christianity did not put women down. It exalted them. It lifted them up. People are really, really messed up in their understanding of history when they think that the church today is against ladies. So any, any, anyway, any, I just, I, that frustrates me. But again, it's not surprising then that when Jesus begins to show women that they have value, that now you have Mary of Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Susanna, they are now joining the ranks, many others, Along with the 12, there are all of these women who are coming along, supporting them, providing for them, which tells me that when they heard the message, these ladies, when they heard it, they perfectly represent this last group, this, this group that hears the word gladly with receptive hearts. They, they are receptive hearers. And so they want the message because they see the benefit to them in this message. The message is one of radical hope. It's a message that has meaning to them. And so they are willing to allow it to not just save them, but to change them. And so then they go ahead and reflect the principles of generosity and selflessness and love that Jesus explains about the upside-down kingdom for his disciples. 
the ladies, these women, their hearts were receptive. And so they received with passion and with purpose the word of God. And it was then these ladies that would serve as models for the men. I, I wonder if that's maybe why Jesus chose after he rose from the dead to show himself first to the ladies because they had in his ministry proved to him that they were the right kind of receivers, the right kind of hearers, that they were receptive hearers of the message. Somebody who wouldn't just see those things as something to, to debate, right? Or, or just as a personal edification or inspiration. They knew that that should change the way they then treated other people and it would change their life. I've noticed something as I have gotten older like I said, my hearing is starting to become weaker. There are times that I'm in a conversation with somebody and um, I, I really don't catch what they say. And I'm, I'm, I find myself sometimes a little embarrassed to say, uh, could you repeat that? So sadly to say, you know, but confession time, there's actually been some times that I, I've kind of nodded <laughs> like what they're saying. And sure, yeah, I, I pretended to hear it and I hoped it wasn't too important. Now, Psalm 40, verse 6, contains a brilliant metaphor when you read it in the original Hebrew. Now, in English, this is what Psalm 40, verse 6 says. It begins, sacrifice and offering, Lord, you did not desire. You didn't want sacrifice or offering, but my ears you have pierced. Now, if you read that in Hebrew, it would say literally, but ears you have dug for me. Ears you have dug for me, which suggests that um, I'm a blockhead, right? Yeah, I may have eyes, nose, and a mouth, but I don't have any holes on the sides of my block, right? And, and so I may have, I may hear what God wants me to do. The, the ancient Israelites, they heard that God wanted sacrifices and offerings, so that's what they were going to do for him. But they really didn't hear that it was not just about sacrifices and offerings. It was actually changing your heart so that you didn't have to make the sacrifices to cover up your sin. So the psalmist says, I, I know what we're like. You didn't desire sacrifices and offerings. I needed you to come in with a pick and a shovel and dig through the side of my cranial granite, my blockhead. Make openings for me so that I can actually hear what you really want to say to me. And then he says in verses seven and eight, then I said, once my ears were dug, <laughs> then I said, here I am, because I heard you. So here I am, I've come, and I desire to do your will. Your law is now within my heart. The way to one's heart is through one's hear, if you will, the way that you hear. So the, the, the words of the Bible are not merely to be read, but to be heard heard and not just listened to, but really, truly understood. So I pray that God will dig for you ears so that you can actually be the sort of hearers that Jesus desires. Not complacent, not shallow, not distracted, but receptive to the real message, what's at the very heart of the gospel. All right, well, that was uh, what we're going to be talking about on Sunday morning. Um, I uh, pray that you are blessed and encouraged by these podcasts. I want to thank Lisa Welly for producing uh, the, the podcast for us. 
I want to thank all of our team here, Steve Pittman and the rest of the crew that um, maintain our, our um, AV equipment and, and our systems here, our, our internet and all that kind of stuff so that we can do this. It's uh, been pretty cool to have not just the streaming. Uh, you could go to YouTube uh, to Powerview Christian Church and watch our, our services online, but to also have this uh, podcast uh, option as well. So may God bless you this week and uh, we'll catch you next week.